so I don't forget. Um, for those of you that have never been on a treasure hunt, um, a treasure hunt is where we get together and we pray and we ask God to give us clues about people he might want to touch that day through us. And God gives us clues, all kinds of weird clues. My favorite clue so far has been pink flip-flops. And it worked out great because we found a lady that was wearing pink flip-flops. And not only did we get to, to pray for her later on, she contacted us and we got to sozo her as well. So that was really cool. But the treasure hunt is about going out and just touching people with the love of God. Just letting them know, God was thinking about you today. Look, you're on my sheet. This describes you kind of thing because God gave you those clues when you prayed and asked God to do that. We're going to do another treasure hunt uh, coming this Saturday, okay? So this coming Saturday, uh, we'll get together at my house, we'll pray, and then we'll go out to wherever the Holy Spirit leads us because he gives us locations as well, so that's kind of cool. And it's, not, it's not that much guesswork, really. It's more just following his lead, which is kind of cool. But we'll get together, we're going to do it at, we're still going to do it at one, at one o'clock, yeah. At one o'clock, we'll spend a half an hour at my house, and then we'll go out for about an hour and a half. It usually takes an hour and a half, because once you get out there and you meet the first person that you get to pray for, then you can't wait to meet the second one. And when the hour and a half goes by so fast, you don't want to go back. But we, we try to limit it to an hour and a half. So if you're interested in doing something like that, just touching somebody with the love of God, this Saturday, my house, one o'clock, We'll worship together, we'll pray together, and then we'll go out and touch people in the name of Jesus. Okay? If you have any more questions about it, ask me after the service. We're still doing the promises of love, going through the different love languages, and today is actually the last one. We're going to cover the love language of quality time. I don't have uh, note-taking sheets. This one came together kind of not like an outline. Um, most of the time, I, I can kind of create an outline. Uh, out of my thoughts, and this one just didn't come together that way, so there's no note sheet. An American businessman was at a pier in a small coastal Mexican village when a small boat with just one fisherman docked. Inside the small boat were several large yellowfin tuna. The American complimented the fisherman on the quality of his fish and asked how long it took to catch them. The man replied, well, only a little while. The American then asked, well, why didn't you stay out longer and catch more fish then? Fisherman said, well, I had enough to support my family's immediate needs. The American then asked the native fisherman how he spent the rest of his time. Fisherman said, well, I sleep late, I fish a little, I play with my children, I take siestas with my wife, Maria, I stroll to the village each evening where I sip wine and play guitar with my friends. I have a full and busy life, senor. The American scoffed, well, I'm a Harvard MBA and you know what? I could help you. You should spend more time fishing. And with the proceeds, then you could buy a bigger boat. And with the proceeds from the bigger boat, then you could buy several boats. Eventually, you could have a fleet of fishing boats. Instead of selling your catch to a middleman, you would sell directly to the processor, eventually opening up your own cannery. You would control the product processing and distribution. You would need to leave this small coastal village and move to Mexico City and then later L.A. and then eventually New York City where you'll run your expanding enterprise. The Mexican fisherman asked, but senor, how long will all this take? To which the American replied, oh, about 15 to 20 years, I think. But what then, senor? Asked the Mexican. Well, the American laughed and he said, well, that's the best part. When the time is right, you would announce an IPO and sell your company and stock to the public. You would become very rich. You would make millions. 
Millions, senor. But then what? Well, the American said, well, then you would retire. You'd move to a small coastal village where you would sleep late, fish a little, play with your kids, take siestas with your wife, stroll to the village in the evening where you could sip wine and play your guitar with your friends. Interesting perspective. We live in a self-inflicted, ever-striving, not-a-moment-to-waste, success-driven culture. It's a culture that places a fairly low value on deep relationships. The faster the pace of our culture, the less time there is for developing those relationships, especially deep friendships. We've traded meaningful dialogue and face-to-face -face interaction for text messaging, tweets, and Facebook posts. Our phones and our computers have created a whole new world, not of connection, but of isolation, Amen. of dysfunction, yeah, of mediocrity. Mediocrity that parades itself as relationship, when in fact it's a shallow illusion of connection. The deepest, most fulfilling, richest life you could ever hope to live is one that makes time to connect to other people. Now think about this. Jesus' most important commandments, most important commandments, were all about connection, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Connect with God and love your neighbor as yourself. Connect with your neighbor. It's all about relationship. It's all about connection. In John 15, Jesus says, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Abide, connect. Connect with my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. These things, get this, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. Did you know your joy could be made full? You thought you had it good, you know? You thought happiness was, was all there was to it, yeah? Guess what? Jesus got a deeper sense of what joy means than what most of us ever experience. But the only way you can get to it is abiding, connecting, connecting with Jesus. God speaks the language of connection because it is the deepest need of the human heart. God is into meeting our deepest needs. Folks, that's his favorite thing to do. He loves to do that, and he knows how to do it better than anyone because he created us. In fact, he created us in his image, which means we have the same makeup as God. That's what it means to be created in his image. You were made to be like him. Now, think about this. God exists in perfect relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is a unity that, that the Bible describes as one. The Lord your God is one. It's a perfect unity. It is a perfect connection. And you were made in his image, so you were made to be like that. When God created Adam and Eve in the garden, they existed in perfect relationship to God. They walked and they talked with God face to face, something that's not really happened since, not in the same way. That would be literally the created mimicking the creator, which is what it means to be created in his image. Having that kind of deep connection with God mimics who God is. 
God exists perfectly connected, and man was created to be perfectly connected to God. That paradigm of connection was built into all of us, and it started with Adam and Eve. Now, think about this. Adam was created out of dirt, right? Do you remember Genesis, the creation? Okay. God brought together some dirt, formed it into a man. Okay. Adam was created out of dirt. That's uh, not the most glorious beginning, but at least God breathed his life into Adam, and that was pretty awesome. That's what gave us life. Eve, on the other hand, was not created from the dirt. Eve was created from Adam, took out the rib, okay? I had an older brother. He's passed away now. I had an older stepbrother I used to share a room with in the summer times when he came home from college. He was crazy funny, just a crazy funny guy. And he'd take me out in in my mom's old Comet with a uh, shift three on the column, you know, those old cars kind of thing, cruising for babes, cruising for babes. You know, he'd crank up the radio kind of thing. And here I am, I'm I'm like this junior hire, you know, with my college-aged older brother kind of thing. And he'd, he'd go around town saying, give me the rib, give me the rib. That was his way of saying, I need a woman. <laughs> I need a relationship. Give me the rib. Give me the rib. You were created, ladies. I love that about him. I thought he was the funniest guy on the planet, you know. Ladies, you were not created out of dirt like Adam. You were created from Adam, literally from Adam. Why? Now, God could have made Eve from the dirt. He just didn't. She was created from Adam because she was supposed to be a part of him. Hence the words from Genesis about the creation of Eve. It says this in Genesis 2, But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of a man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Notice how all this happens when Adam's passed out. Yeah. Kind of interesting. Then the Lord made the woman from the rib he had taken out of man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, Now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. You see the connection there? God could have done it differently, but he designed us for connection with one another. The most intimate of of physical connections and emotional connections we have on the planet is our spouse. But we can have that kind of intimacy with a lot of people if we will function like God functions and love the way that God loves. That one flesh connection can happen. For Adam and Eve, the DNA, their DNA of connection, the desire and need for connection was passed down to literally every living soul on the planet. We all need this. Now, let me take uh, this connection thing a step further, because I think this is kind of interesting, and at the same time, it's really important that we understand this. Janet shared a thought with me yesterday. We were headed up to uh, the outlets to do a little bit of shopping, and she had this brilliant, I mean stunningly brilliant idea. She does that to me every once in a while. She just blows me away. She's... Basically, the idea was like this. We all know that when Adam and Eve sinned against God in the garden, that it resulted in the fall of mankind, right? Yeah. 
Okay, that's kind of what we all know. Adam and Eve got tossed out of the, the garden so that they couldn't eat from the tree of everlasting life and remain in their sin. So they had to exit. We got what the theologians today call a sin nature out of that idea. And that idea is it's supported in, in numerous scriptures. Most of the time, we look at that idea as some sort of spiritual shift in our DNA. You know, we were like this, and now we're like this. We were immortal, now we are mortal, now we die. The fact of the matter is, we've always been immortal, and we always will be immortal, because uh, even if you're a non-believer, you don't, you don't cease to exist when you die. You pass from this life to the next. Most of the time, we look at that whole idea as us kind of being remade or the fall having changed us from the inside out to make us into these fallen creatures, a shift that is corrected or, or it's made right when we give our lives to Jesus and we become what the Bible calls born again, where DNA is redone, okay? We're a new creation, right? That's the idea. That's basic theology, by the way. Well, Janet posed a question, and I thought this was brilliant. What if it wasn't a shift in nature or a shift in our DNA, so to speak, but rather a shift in our connection? What if what Adam did in the garden wasn't to remake himself? You see, Adam didn't have the power really to remake himself. Even Satan doesn't have the ability to create. He can subvert what God has created, but he doesn't have the ability to create. So what if Adam didn't remake himself in that move? What if it was more like a handshake? What if it was Adam removing his hand, his connection from God's hand, and placing it in Satan's hand, shaking hands with the enemy? Think about that. It's about relationship. It's about connection. While everyone else in Jesus' day was talking about sin and rules, Jesus talked about one thing, relationship, connection. At the heart of all the love languages we've been talking about over the last five weeks or so is this idea of connection. We are either moving towards connection or we are moving towards disconnection. There's no middle ground, just like there's no middle ground in the kingdom of God. There's no gray areas. You either belong to Jesus or you don't. We're either moving towards connection or disconnection with God. That is at the heart of every love language. Every love language that God speaks or that we speak to one another is about connection. And everything that isn't about connection is about disconnection. Now, this morning, I want to talk about the love language of quality time. Now, if you're a person with the love language of quality time, then you need to engage, you need to connect with people in order to feel loved. It's just how you're made. I think there's a great mistake that goes along with this particular love language. Quality time is not the same thing as quantity time. The quality time person doesn't really need to spend lots of time with you in order to feel loved by you. What they need is to have a deep connection in the time that they do spend with you. They need to have you express your care for them, your connection with them. Danny Silk kind of describes it in his book, Keep Your Love On. Uh, both his daughter and his wife are quality time people. 
and what he's had to learn over the years, because it's not one of his connection languages necessarily, is that when he's with them, no matter how little time they get to spend together, he has to zero in on them. He has to focus on them. You know, when he gets home from, from work, his wife wants to talk about her day at work. And by his attention, he's telling her, I care. I love. You encounter somebody with the love language of quality time, you're going to find that they're going to feel fulfilled in that. If not just you're there, although it does require you showing up, okay? It does, okay? You got to show up. But then most of the love languages, you have to show up, okay? This one may be more than others, but you got to show up. But even in the showing up, you can't remain disconnected, aloof. You can't remain unconcerned. You actually have to engage that person. You actually have to express concern, express your care, express your interest in their life. That's what communicates to a person with a love language of quality time. It's not just about, you know, spending time with them. Uh, you know, she can sit, we do this in, in my house. My wife can sit on the couch and watch TV, and I can sit in my chair and watch TV. But unless we talk, at least during the commercials, we're not connecting, okay? We're just spending time in the same room. That's geography, okay? What I'm talking about is really connecting with someone. In order for a quality time person to feel loved, you've got to connect. They need to know that you care about them, that you're connected to their life in all of its various complexities. The quality time person wants to share the things that happened to them during their day, what they thought about, what they learned, what went right, what went wrong. And in order to accomplish that, you have to engage. This is where I think the Holy Spirit comes in to play, and the Holy Spirit is brilliant in what he does for us. Because God speaks the language of connection. He speaks the language of quality time. He does so because he's placed his Holy Spirit in us. Geographically, we're never alone when it comes to God. Okay? We're never alone when it comes to God. And Jesus makes the invitation for us to connect for quality time. Come with me. Abide with me. The Holy Spirit is his response to our acceptance of that invitation. You know, one of my favorite scriptures comes out of Revelation 3.20. I, I learned this scripture years ago, but I learned it in a different thing other than NIV. I learned it in the New American Standard Bible, which is a wholly different translation. This is what it says. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down at my father's throne. Now, this is an amazing invitation. You stop and think about it. First, especially for people with this quality time love language, there is intention behind Jesus' invitation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is not a, a, a casual thing. Well, I was just in the neighborhood, thought I'd drop in. It's not like that. Jesus is saying, no, I stand at the door. The Greek word here is histame, and it's translated as abiding, continuing, establishing, hold up. Those are its various translations. Think about that. I stand. I continue. 
I'm going to live here at your door, okay? That's basically what Jesus is saying. I'm here, period, okay? I'm holed up here. I'm not going anywhere. And he's not just waiting either. He's speaking. If anyone hears my voice, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice. Jesus isn't just standing there going, it's, hey, anybody home? Come on. Open, please. Anybody home? I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, Jesus is communicating his desire for connection with us. You know, the Greek word here for, for voice is kind of interesting. It's phone, which is where we get our word phone. Interesting, huh? It's about a conversation that Jesus is wanting to engage in. I'm not much of a phone person. You know, I'll talk on the phone because I have to, you know, because I can't always be face-to-face with people, but I would much rather have a sit-down with a person than talk with them over the phone. You know, I've tried counseling people over the phone. It doesn't work well. You can't read their body language, okay? There's so much about it you can't do. It's okay if you have to, but it's a whole lot better to do it in person. Jesus is wanting to do that for us all of the time, to encounter us in a personal engagement. That's where things get interesting. There is a connection on the other side of Jesus' invitation here. I will come into him, and I will dine with him, and he with me. Jesus doesn't say, I will come in with him. He says, I will come in to him. There's a sense of indwelling in what is said here. Not visiting a friend, but taking up residence within us. This is a picture of the intimate indwelling that Jesus does in the form of the Holy Spirit. And that's where this exchange takes place, the dining with him. In the Jewish culture, I love this part, in the Jewish culture, the highest level of engagement with another person was to dine with them, literally to break bread together. That was the the highest pinnacle of social engagement with people. To invite somebody over for dinner, to dine with them, was to connect with them. And it was also the greatest honor you could show them, at least in a social standing. Now, I don't know if you remember the story of the Pharisee that invited Jesus to dinner and then doesn't provide a servant to wash Jesus' feet before they sit down together. Jesus' feet do get washed eventually. A woman comes in off the street and weeps at his feet, and with her tears and her hair, she cleans his feet. But the Pharisee didn't do that. It's, it's a paradox in this situation that's kind of lost on our culture. On one hand, you have this wonderful invitation that should have symbolized the Pharisee's desire for an intimate friendship with Jesus. But at the same time, you have this very basic social norm totally ignored, which was very degrading and insulting at the same time. It was a picture of the hypocritical heart of the religious leaders of Jesus' day. On the outside of the house, they looked like they were best of friends with God. But on the inside, not even the smallest hint of honor towards who God really was. It's an interesting picture of where their heart was, but it also gives us some idea of what it meant to connect for them as well. I said all that to paint this picture. 
of the importance of what Jesus is offering to us in this verse. To come into us and dine with us is the highest of honors that could be paid. It is, it's an amazing invitation for connection made by literally the God of the universe. Whether or not you, your love language is quality time, this is an incredible offer made by God himself. If quality time is your love language, then know this. Jesus speaks your language here. The only thing you have to do in order to make that connection happen is to open the door. Literally, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice I will, and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. There is a response that has to happen in order for this engagement to take place. How do you do that? Well, let me go back to that conversation between Janet and I. The idea of connection rather than a change of DNA. If Adam removed his hand from the hand of God in the garden and he shook hands with the enemy, then basically Adam made an agreement with Satan, didn't he? I mean, that is the fall. He made an agreement with Satan. Satan gave him an, an idea, okay, a temptation. Take that fruit, surely you won't die. No, you'll be like God. And Adam slips his hand from God's grasp. And he agrees with Satan over here. And the fall happens. Now who's he connected to? He's connected to Satan. He's connected to this other way of thinking. He's connected to this other kingdom. He entered into Satan's rebellion against God. Jesus came, folks, to make it possible for the reversal of that action. To allow us the opportunity to disconnect from Satan and reconnect with God. To literally take the door out of the picture. The door of Revelation 3.20 is literally the barrier between us and Jesus. That door represents our disconnection. It represents our sin. And Jesus stands ready to come into us when we decide to open the door to repent, to remove the sin, to take our hand out of the hand of Satan and put it back where it belonged in the hand of God. Understand, I'm not just talking about repentance, folks, that leads to salvation, although that is the starting place. I'm talking about every handshake that we make with the enemy. Think of it this way. You know, a lot of people have this, this hard time with the old nature, the new nature, and, and you know, when I sin, I'm, I'm, I'm sinning because I, my, my nature didn't change, but I thought I was a new creature. That's what, I, that's what I think is so brilliant about what Jan came up with here, because it takes that... that that weird conversation out of play. It says, no, your nature didn't change. You're created in the image of God. Satan couldn't change that. Your connection is what changed. It's no longer my nature now. When I'm a believer and I've given my heart to Jesus, it's no longer my nature that suffers, okay, when I sin. It's that I've removed my hand in this particular instance, at this particular time, over this particular issue. I've removed my hand from God's hand and I've made an agreement over here with the enemy. And that allows me to sin. 
that makes sin attractive. That makes sin something that I'm willing to do because I've shook hands with the wrong person. And all I need to do is repent, to take that action back, do the 180 degrees that people talk about, repentance meaning, having a different thought, and go back to shaking hands with God. Go back to reconnecting with God. In that moment that we sin, we basically make that decision to disconnect with God and to reconnect, so to speak, with Satan, something that Jesus paid the price for us to not have to do. If, folks, if you want quality time with God so that your love tank can be filled, then the fastest way that I know to get there is to get rid of any agreements that you've made with the enemy that hold you back from the thing that you need the most, intimacy with God. Get that in your brain. The next time that, <laughs> next time that you find yourself doing something you didn't intend to do, saying something you weren't going to say, okay? Or even if you thought you were going to say it, okay, and you wanted to say it, okay? Realize what you just did. You just removed your hand from the hand of God and you stuck it over here into the hand of Satan, into the hand of the enemy, and you're making an agreement with him in that moment. To repent is to remove that and to put your hand back in the hand of God. One other thing. This is about intimacy, okay? This is about a deep abiding connection because quality time people especially, and God is a quality time people, okay? Quality time people need that deep connection. Intimacy with God is not something we're just going to fall into, folks. It takes a decision. It takes an act of the will, and our will should override our emotions, I'm not just feeling God today, you know. I just, I'm not there. I'm not feeling it. <sighs> so what? It's a choice. It's not a feeling. The feeling will come with the choice. Connect with God. How do you do that? Well, there's lots of ways to do that. Think of a few. Get in the Word of God. Get, in, get into your Bible. It's a great way to connect with God. You're feeling like your love tank's a little bit empty, okay? Or you've been shaking hands with the enemy over here too much? Get into the Word of God. Go back to reading the Bible. Get into worship. One of the things that floats my boat the most is worship. I'll listen to Caleb all day long, you know, because it's worship and because it connects me with God in a way that I may not have an opportunity to do when I'm out there on the job site in any other way. You know, you can pray. That's, praying is a great way to connect with God, a very deep and intimate way to connect with God. You can fast to connect with God. That's removing food from the picture so that you can spend more time working on this connection, okay? That's all that, that fasting is. Fasting is, it, it's, not, it's not really about getting things. It's about this. It's about connection. You can get into fellowship with the body of Christ, and get connected with God. Think of it this way. Every time that you choose to fill your time with something that doesn't honor God or takes you away from an opportunity to connect with God, you're removing your hand from His, and you're shaking hands with some other hand. 
There are a million excuses not to pick up your Bible, a million excuses to not pray, to not come to church. And when you take that direction, you shake hands with the wrong person. We miss an opportunity at that moment to connect with Jesus. We miss intimacy's greatest reward, which is love. Now, am I saying every time you miss church on Sunday morning that you're shaking hands with the enemy? Because that's where some of you are going to go, huh? Yeah, okay. Am I saying that? Yes. No. (laughs) Yes and no. It depends. Why are you missing? Okay. Are you sitting at home having a pity party over something? You know? Because then you are disconnected. Okay? And that disconnection is going to cost you. It's going to cost you some intimacy with God, an opportunity to enter in deep with God. But there's a myriad of other things that honor God that will not necessarily bring you here on a Sunday morning. Does that make sense? Okay. So I'm not saying that every time you miss church, you're shaking hands with the enemy. I am saying that if you do, if you substitute something the enemy has for you for this, then, yeah, you're missing an opportunity to connect. You're missing intimacy with him. Because this is, this is about connecting with God. It's about connecting with one another, but we are the body of Christ. That makes us connecting with God too, okay? Because we each carry the Holy Spirit within us. So you're connecting with God by connecting with one another. And that's not to be shrugged off lightly. It's not to be passed over without some really good idea of what you're doing. I don't know about you. I don't want to miss a thing. I just don't think it's worth it. So, you know, except for maybe once or twice a year, I'm here every Sunday morning, you know? And it's not because I couldn't take more time away. I don't want to. I want to be here. I want to connect. I don't want to miss a thing. Make sense? 1 John 4, 13 says this, We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he is in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. Here's the invitation to connect. Here's the admonishment. Let go of whatever keeps you from connecting with God. And here's my prayer for you as well and for myself. That we wouldn't spend a moment over here connected to him but that we didn't realize, repent, and reconnect with God. I, 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 it's not that we won't sin, okay? It's that we don't have to. We have the opportunity to choose differently. Make sense? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you. Thank you for your incredible love for us. 
Thank you for the way that, that you designed us, that you made us, that you created us in your image so that we could fully connect to you, that there wouldn't be anything that stood between us and you. You want us to shake hands. You want us to place our hand in your hand and to leave everything else aside. Thank you, Father, for the way that you love us. Thank you for your willingness to go deep, Jesus, into our lives, to come into us, to dine with us, to spend that quality time so that we would know that we are loved. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for being the instrument of Jesus indwelling into our lives. We give you honor and praise, Holy Spirit, for who you are for us. In Jesus' precious name, amen.